welcome to Hacking Your ADHD, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, William Kerb, and I have ADHD. On this podcast, I dig into the tools, tactics, and best practices to help you work with your ADHD brain. Today's episode is a follow-up to last week's on energy management, but this week we are just going to be focusing on the area of physical energy. When we think about our energy levels, our physical energy is what we tend to primarily think about. We think about being tired or just needing a quick pick-me-up to get through our day. And our physical energy tends to be the basis for all our other types of energy. And a quick reminder here, those were mental, emotional, and spiritual, along with our physical energy. When we're physically exhausted, it's hard for us to draw on our other wells of energy. Have a bad night's sleep? You might be feeling that brain fog all day. Low blood sugar? You might be more likely to snap at your family members over something that's not that important. We need our foundation of physical energy to power our bodies and let us fully engage with our other sources of energy, so that's what we're going to start with. In today's episode, we're going to be covering three main areas that we get our physical energy from. Sleep, diet, and exercise. If you'd like to follow along on the show notes page, you can find that at hackingyouradhd.com slash physical energy. And before we get going here, I just want to make sure everyone knows that I'm not a doctor. And while this episode is a lot about your health, it is not intended and should not be construed as medical advice. Just because I say something on the show doesn't necessarily mean it'll be the best advice for you. Be smart and be safe. And when in doubt, consult your doctor before changing your diet or exercise routine. All right, keep on listening to find out the best things you can do to dance the night away. So we're going to get started today by talking about sleep. And sleep is one of my passion areas, because if you have trouble with your sleep and you start getting good sleep, it will absolutely have one of the biggest impacts on your energy levels and also on your ADHD management. But even if you aren't having trouble with sleep, there are still probably things you could be doing to improve your sleep quality. So the first question people always have with sleep is, how much sleep do they really need? And that's a great question to start with, but let's also make sure that you understand that just getting by with enough sleep isn't what we want to do here. We want to try and be getting quality sleep every night, because that consistency is what's really going to bring up your energy levels. Just having one night of good sleep isn't going to correct having weeks and weeks of bad sleep. And so before we get into exactly how much sleep we need, let's talk about the three phases of sleep we have. And it's a little bit more complicated than that, but we're just covering the basics here, so bear with me. Our first phase of sleep is light sleep. This is when we're transitioning from being awake into being asleep, and we'll go in and out of this stage throughout the night. We spend about half our time sleeping in light sleep. Then we've got deep sleep, and this is when we record our lowest levels of brain activity, but it's also when we have our highest levels of recovery. If you get woken up during deep sleep, that's when you're super groggy and just have no idea what's going on. And then finally, we've got REM sleep, and REM stands for Rapid Eye Movement. And this is generally what we think of as our dream phase of sleep, and it is primarily when we dream, although we do have some dreaming in our light sleep as well. And during REM sleep is when our brain activity is at its highest point, and this is also when we're encoding a lot of our memories during our sleep. And so as you can see, as we're talking about these sleep phases, we'll be talking about deep sleep and REM sleep as usually being the most important, but light sleep is still important. So these phases are important to understand because we're going to bring something back we talked about last week, which is the ultradian rhythms. And these are these 90-minute cycles our bodies go through, and this is also how our sleep cycles work. We'll go into light sleep, and then into deep sleep, and then into REM sleep. And so ideally, we want to get about four to six complete sleep cycles throughout the night. And this means that we're not like waking up in the middle of these cycles because an interrupted cycle is not nearly as effective as a complete 90-minute cycle of being asleep. And I'm sure some of you are doing some quick math here and saying that, okay, four cycles of 90 minutes is six hours, and six cycles is nine hours. And most people are going to want to aim for about five cycles, or about seven and a half hours of sleep at night. 
But, and this is a big but here, 90 minutes is an average. These are not strict numbers here. You are going to need more or less sleep depending on how much energy you use throughout the day. And so, as I said, we want to get four to six of these. And then we also want to aim to wake up the end of one of these sleep cycles. Because if you're waking up in the middle of the sleep cycle, especially if we wake up during deep sleep, as I mentioned, we tend to be a lot more groggy. And so one more thing about these sleep cycles is they're not the same throughout the night. Our sleep cycles tend to focus more on having, we tend to have more deep sleep early in the night and more REM sleep later in our overall sleep period. If we normally go to sleep at 9 and wake up at 6, then we're going to be getting that deep sleep early in the night. And so this means if we go to bed really late, say we're going to bed at 1, then we might miss most of our deep sleep cycles. Or if you wake up extra early, you might miss more of your REM cycles. Which is why it's so important to realize that you want to keep that regular sleep pattern of going to bed and waking up around the same time so that you're maximizing both your deep and your REM sleep. All right, so that's a pretty good overview of how much sleep we need, but we also want to look at some ways that we can improve our sleep and make sure we're staying asleep so we're not waking up during those sleep cycles. One of the easiest ways you can do this is by having a dark room. And I mean like actually pitch black, real dark, no bright LEDs in your room, no sunlight coming in under the curtains. It's not always easy, but it contributes to getting into deep sleep a lot more readily. So make sure that you're using those blackout curtains and covering up any LEDs that you have in your room. I have a smoke detector in my room that has a little green LED that's always on, and so I just put a little bit of electrical tape over the top of the green light because that affects my sleep. And then along with the dark room, you also want a colder room. Most sleep data suggests that you want a room around 65 degrees Fahrenheit. And I realize for some people that's very cold. So remember that it's an average. You might need it a little bit warmer to actually get to sleep. I know my wife can't fall asleep if she's got cold feet, and so just turning down the temperature in the room really won't help her sleep any better. Whereas I'm a very hot sleeper, and so I do need it a little bit chillier to get to sleep. One solution that we have is that we just sleep with different blankets, and I also sleep with something called a chili pad, and it's just something that I put under the sheets that's filled with these little tubes of water that get cooled, and so I run that all night, and it helps keep me cool while I'm sleeping. And while it's a pricey investment, it's definitely been super helpful for keeping me asleep all night. Finally, the other thing that's really going to help you get to sleep is really working on creating that bedtime routine where you're ready to go to sleep by the time it's your bedtime. And so this means that you can't have a 9.30 bedtime and be watching Netflix until 9.25. It takes time to get ready for bed. And there's some things you can do to really help try and get your bedtime routine in place. The first of which is that you just have to set reminders for yourself about your bedtime. I know I resisted this for years because I was like, I'm an adult, I can just go to bed whenever I want to, and I know when I want to go to bed, I'm going to go to bed when I'm sleepy. But part of my bedtime routine gets me sleepy enough so that when I get into bed, I'm ready to go to sleep. So part of our routine should be turning off our phones earlier in the night. You may have heard about how blue light can be overly stimulating, but it's not just the blue light, it's also what we're doing on our phones. If we're reading stuff on Twitter and getting amped up by the latest political news or playing games, these things are going to make it harder for us to fall asleep once we get in bed. We need time to ramp down and get ready for bed. Great ways to do this can be doing some journaling, which really can help calm your mind if you have racing thoughts when you're getting to bed, or reading or listening to fiction. And often I find nonfiction can be way too stimulating to me before bed, where I'll hear an idea and I'll need to write it down because I just want to act on it then. And with ADHD, that's just something we want to avoid before bed because it's too easy for me to be like, I have this idea, I have to do it now, and then put off bedtime. And don't forget, write down your bedtime routine. Have those reminders in place because we forget things and just because we want to remember things doesn't mean we're going to. For example, I've just restarted my routine of having some tea before bed. 
well, not before bed, but in the evening, because I don't want liquids right before I'm going to sleep, because that's going to wake me up to pee, interrupt my sleep cycle, and again, we want to keep ourselves from interrupting our sleep cycles as much as we can. But this means that I want to have that tea, you know, a couple hours before I actually am going to bed, and if I want to actually remember to take it, I have to have reminders to do it. Even though last year it was a routine for me to do it, and I did it every night, I don't have that routine anymore, and so I need those reminders again. And just one last piece, we do want to rule out sleep disorders if we can. If you have trouble sleeping and you've tried everything above or just suspect you might have a sleeping disorder, go get checked out by a sleep doctor. Sleep disorders are not something you're just going to conquer by yourself by reading a blog article or listening to a podcast. I myself have sleep apnea, and getting that diagnosis really helped me get in order what I actually need to do to get a good night's sleep. When I was a kid, I loved watching stand-up specials on Comedy Central. And one bit that always stuck out to me was this one from Lewis Black, where he asked the audience if eggs were good for you. And he asked this question to illustrate the point that the science on eggs has been all over the place, because it really has been. Even years later, with a quick Google search, I get a ton of conflicting information. One study says it raises my cholesterol, then another says that dietary cholesterol doesn't actually increase my cholesterol, and it's hard to know which one I should give more credence. And the fact is, dietary science is hard. Some of what we know today as fact probably is going to change in the next few years. And I say all this because it's important to understand that no amount of research you do online is going to yield you the perfect diet. We just don't know enough yet. However, this does not mean we should just eat whatever we want. What it does mean is that we just need to take a step back from perfection and work on finding good enough. So with that said, let's talk a little bit about how your diet affects your energy levels. And this is probably the most direct way we understand of our energy. Food goes in, and we burn that food to make energy. And in fact, a calorie is actually a unit of energy. One calorie is the energy needed to raise the temperature of one gram of water by one degree Celsius. And of course, this also doesn't mean that calories in equals energy out. I mean, that would make things so much easier if that were the case, but the way foods affect us is a lot more complicated. So the energy we get from food is affected by the nutrients and how our body processes that food. You know, how long it takes our bodies to digest it, how it affects our blood sugar levels. And we can take a minute to discuss that there are three kinds of macronutrients, carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. And I imagine most of us understand that our carbohydrates are our grains and rices and vegetables, fruits, sugars. Proteins are meats, eggs, fish. And then our fats are things like oils and actual fat. And I grew up as a child of the 80s, so fat was definitely something that was demonized in my house and we are now realizing is a lot more important for our diets and especially for fueling our brains than we used to understand. And while it is important to look at the right foods and the wrong foods to eat, what's generally more important is to look at the habits you have around food. And what I mean by this is when you go for a snack, what are you reaching for? When you're filling up your plate with food, how much food are you putting on your plate? And then when you're eating your food, are you really focusing on eating your food? Or are you watching YouTube, playing on your phone, or doing something else? And I know changing your habits isn't easy, but it's really what's going to make the difference in what you eat. And so we can go back to episode 35 on nudging to think about how we can think about making the right foods to eat easier to do. So the first thing we want to do is get the foods you don't want to eat out of your house. I can't eat the ice cream that's not in my freezer. This interrupts that habit of, I'm just going to grab the easiest thing that I already have the habit of grabbing when I need a snack. However, that won't solve the next problem of that you need to have a plan of what you want to eat before you get hungry. Because when you're hungry, you make bad choices. And so have a plan for what you want to eat and make those snacks easily available. And this can mean doing some meal prep. This can mean having like an easy yogurt you can get. Whatever it takes to make making the right choice the easiest choice. 
And finally here, you just also have to be forgiving yourself when you don't eat the right things. If you're trying to reverse habits that you've made over the last decade, it's going to take some work to undo them. Being overly hard on yourself for following your old habits isn't going to change them. Take things one day at a time, and if you mess up, you don't have to start over. I know I used to have the habit of being like, well, I had a candy bar at lunch, so I might as well eat everything I wanted to today. No, I just had a candy bar at lunch. I can go right back to trying to build my good habits. I don't need to let the voice in my head tell me I need to give up just because I made one mistake. Or five mistakes. It doesn't matter. I can always get back on track. All right, our final pillar of physical energy is movement. For a lot of us, it can seem counterintuitive that exercising more will help with our energy levels, because exercise takes energy to do. I know when I'm sitting on the couch, going for a run is often the last thing I want to do to get those energy levels back up. But what exercise does is it releases endorphins, it gets your blood moving, and energy follows energy. Once I start moving, it's a lot easier to keep myself moving. Getting enough exercise will also help with the quality of your sleep, so that when it's time to go to sleep, you're ready to go to sleep, and that when you're in that sleep, you're in deeper sleep. And exercise can also help manage your stress. And then there's also that maintaining your body will also give you more overall energy throughout the day. It trains your heart to work more efficiently, getting more oxygen to the brain and other organs. And this means you're not going to get winded going up the stairs and have to take a breather once you get into the office. It also takes less energy to move around when you just weigh less. Just think about walking around with a heavy backpack. Say you've got this like big 25-pound backpack on your back, and then you take it off. It's just so much easier to do everything else because you don't have that weight holding you down. This doesn't mean that if you're carrying around extra weight that you're a bad person. It's just a matter of physics that when you have less to carry around, it takes less energy to do so. And I should mention here, too, that weight loss is a lot more about diet. But if you're exercising and building up your muscles, it will serve that same function. And so this brings up the question of what kind of exercise should I be doing? Well, if you're just starting out, please start slow. It's going too hard too early. It's just going to scare you away from keeping exercise. So maybe just go for a 10-minute walk and work your way up from there. Our key here is that we just want to raise our heart rate. What we want to get to is where we're doing 20 to 30 minutes of moderate intensity exercise every day. This can be a bit. This can be a brisk walk, a run, a bike ride, whatever gets up your heart rate. While I know going to the gym isn't a great option right now, weightlifting is also a great option or doing some yoga. You could even do something fun like a dance class. And that's also a great point here is that if you're doing exercise that's fun, you're more likely to stick with it. If you need more tips on getting more exercise in, go check out episode 19, ADHD in the gym. But we're also talking about movement here. The average American adult now spends about six and a half hours a day sitting. Even without any other considerations, that's just a long time to be in one place, doing one thing. We often sit with bad posture, leading to chronic pain in our necks and backs, and spending too much time inactive is correlated with poor health outcomes. And really, it's not the sitting, it's the sedentary lifestyle. And so we want to focus on trying to get more movement throughout the day. Even if you're getting those 20 to 30 minutes of exercise per day, you still need to have movement during the day. And you can get this from getting up from your chair and moving around at least once an hour. You can stand while you're making your phone calls, or I like walking while I'm on the phone. If you can, take the stairs instead of the elevator. Housework, gardening, and yard work are all great physical activities to do. You can go for a walk in your neighborhood. I'm sure your dog would love it. If you don't have a dog, take your cat or your fish. They'd love a walk too. You can try doing some light stretching during a break. And standing desks have become a lot more popular. Although, I will give that the caveat of just standing in one place for six hours will not solve your sedentary lifestyle problem. Personally, I use a transition desk that can go from sitting to standing. Because again, it's not the sitting that's the problem. It's just that we're not getting enough movement throughout the day.
Thanks for sticking with me all the way to the end. Before you go though, let's do a quick rundown of today's top tips. 1. Getting enough sleep is one of the most important things we can do for our energy levels. To help get a good night's sleep, make sure you're allowing yourself to get 4-6 to six sleep cycles of 90 minutes. You can improve your sleep quality with a dark, cool room and by creating a routine that will get you ready for sleep by your bedtime. 2. Instead of focusing on what foods you should and shouldn't be eating, focus on ways that you can make your habits of eating the right foods easier. By making the lifestyle changes, you are more likely to stick with your new dietary plan. Making mistakes isn't a setback, it's just part of the path to changing your habits. 3. Aim to get 20 to 30 minutes of moderate exercise every day. We're just trying to get our heart rate up here. If you are just starting up, then maybe try starting with something like a light 10 minute walk and work your way up. 4. Along with getting enough exercise during the day, you are also going to want to be moving throughout the day. During your breaks, be sure to get up and stretch a little, and don't let yourself stay in one position for too long. That's it. Thanks for listening. I'd love to hear what you thought of this episode. You can reach me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HackingYourADHD, or you can connect with me over at HackingYourADHD.com contact. And be sure to check out the show notes page at HackingYourADHD.com slash physicalenergy. If you're this far into the end of the show, you might also be interested in the other podcasts on the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. For in-depth interviews with fellow ADHDers and ADHD experts, check out ADHD Rewired with Eric Tivers. If you're a parent with ADHD or have a child with ADHD, definitely check out Brendan Mahan's show, ADHD Essentials. I also do a live Q&A with Eric and Brendan every second Tuesday of the month at 10.30 a.m. Pacific. If you'd like to register for the next one, just go to ADHDRewired.com slash events. And now for your moment of dad. Why don't eggs tell jokes? They'd crack each other up.